everybody. We're live here with the eighth episode of Ballers, and today we're joined by J.J. Burden, former wide receiver for the Oregon Ducks, who all, who's also a track runner at Oregon in the hurdles and long jump, as well as the relay, and then spent nine years in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns, Dallas Cowboys, Kansas City Chiefs, and Atlanta Falcons. Today, among several awesome ventures, motivationals, and a best-selling author through his book, When Opportunity Knocks, Surefire Ways Take Advantage. I was lucky enough to interview J.J. when I was a freshman six years ago, so it is pretty real to come back full circle today again. Good morning, JJ, and thanks for joining us. Hey, what's up, Nima? It's good to be uh, joining you again and uh, excited to share some content today. I think I think your book is a great great lead, and I had the opportunity to read it um, in the 2015, and, and you talk about seizing opportunities. As someone who was coming out of the NFL, how did you get a jump on your new career? Because there's a lot of players you go into coaching other like fields, but you chose a unique path. How did things segue to that? Yeah, it was an interesting journey because, because Nima, I was always planning for life after football. I did not think, you know, I would play nine years, you know, I'm a 5'10", 157, not your prototypical NFL player. So I knew the odds were against me. So I kind of took it one year at a time, but around year five or year six, I was, I was already thinking about the transition. What would I do once my career was over? And I thought about coaching because a lot of players naturally go into that. And I don't mind coaching. I just don't like the hours. I didn't like the responsibilities the coaches have. I, they pretty much have no home life, you know. So, um, but I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And once I retired, I, I, the money I made, I invested in some small businesses and um, two were in, in the medical industry in Kansas City. And one was a fitness equipment company in Atlanta. And I ran those. I was involved in those companies for about 10 years, but I loved working with people. I just didn't like the challenges and the headaches of running those types of businesses. And I just seemed like I was overworked, underpaid, stressed out, traveling a lot. And I just thought, okay, I'm not very passionate about what I was doing. But one thing I never forgot was when I was in the NFL, I would often do speaking engagements during the off season because players have the opportunities to go to schools or go to businesses or go to different organizations and just kind of speak and tell them about, you know, their career or motivation or whatever. And I would take advantage of that because I thought, wow, here's a skill set that if I'm comfortable speaking in front of people, I could, this is something I could use the rest of my life. And it just kind of dawned on me maybe about five, six years ago that I have a lot of knowledge. I've had a lot of experience. I think I can really help people in some capacity. And that's kind of when I began this journey of uh, launching my um, keynote speaking career and writing a book. And I guess you could say the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> I think you bring up a great point about being ready for the next thing for time. But I do have to ask, and you brought your five and six really as being the time where you started looking forward. But what is that feeling like when you're still playing, but all of a sudden it truly hits you that not only is there a day after football or whatever sport it is you're doing, but you also have this very soon. I imagine having that line of thinking as maybe a different mindset than you had when you were 19 years old preparing for an NFL career. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like um, if you're not prepared for it, it's a rude awakening. And I saw a lot of professional athletes, uh, football, of course, struggle with that because they thought they would have this long career and maybe play for 10, 15, 20 years or whatever. And it's something that they've done their entire life. And then all of a sudden you're faced with the reality that it's over. 
And when you think about the average NFL player plays 3.2 years, you're talking about great athletes, all Americans that one day their career's over. And as I mentioned, a lot of the athletes are not prepared for. So for me, I was just surprised to be there because I wasn't supposed to be there. I mean, I, I was a walk-on at Oregon. I didn't have a great college career. I got invited to NFL Combine and I tested well. So I was kind of this mystery track guy who could catch the football. I just never thought it would go to nine years, but every year I was there, Nima, I took it as if it was my last day. And I, and I, I gave it my best in every way and just thought, if I can be here tomorrow, fantastic. If I could be here next month, fantastic. If I could be here another year. So I think when I hit year five, and I'll say that because the average or no, the, an NFL player is vested at year four. So year four, you start qualifying for retirement. So I thought, if I can make it to year four, this is awesome. And then it was year five, and I thought, okay, let's, let's take it one year at a time. But I, I certainly started thinking about it because, for me, my life wasn't all about football, where there were some guys, they were groomed to play in the NFL. This is all they thought about, all they dreamed about. That wasn't me. It was more like my job was what I did to support my family. And so – Transition-wise was, I think, a little easier for me because I was always preparing for it, and it was something that I just, you know, I expected to take place naturally. And so, um, yeah, so for me, when I walked away year nine, it was literally, I said, I got, I got injured, and I said, you know what, okay, I can rehab myself, I'm 100%. But I thought, you know what? I've already played nine years in a game I wasn't supposed to play in. You know, I've made some money. Let's walk away on my own terms. And so I'm proud to say I was able to do that. Do you think when you look at the combine today and guys coming out of college that there's maybe a percentage of players that's a little bit too big that have that arrogance that they're going to last in the league longer than that average? Because you, you see a lot of people who will suffer – maybe one injury too many and they still keep trying to play. But at that point, it's really a lost cause. And then they don't really have a segue into something else. Do you think that there's, it's, there's too many people like that or and is there a solution? I do. I, I truly do. I think today's athlete is a little bit too overconfident. And I think they have this entitlement syndrome. You know, it's like because they've been great athletes in high school, they've been told how great they were in college Obviously, with social media, there's there's all the exposure of this great athlete and athleticism they have. But when you get to the NFL, you're talking about playing with the best in the world. And think about this. Thousands of people play, you know, men and girls now in high school and some college play football. But every year in the NFL, there's 1,696 men that make an active NFL roster. That's 1,696 out of however many you're playing. And so a lot of these players think that they're going to make it automatically. They're going to play automatically. They're going to have this long career. But when you get there, you realize that everybody's a great athlete. Everyone's an All-American. So, so as a pro, you're trying to find those little 3 to 2% incremental improvements in your game because that's the difference between whether you make a team or whether you're watching a game from your sofa, you know, on, on a Sunday. So – I just think that today's athlete is too overconfident and they should go in with the attitude that, hey, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to do all everything I can, but here's my plan B. If I'm only one year, two years, three years, four years, I am ready for the transition. And I think today's athlete has an advantage too, Nima, because 
we didn't have social media. We didn't talk about branding. So today's athlete, and I always encourage every athlete, I say from day one, start networking. Start leveraging your brand while you are a player because you will create opportunities and options that will be available for you once your career is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you bring that up about the, how tough it is to make an NFL roster, um, I remember even going from high school to college tennis and we're, even at the Division One level, there was always schools that you thought, oh, they, they probably can't play. And then you get there and everyone at that level is good. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you look at, we talked about off air and you got, you got cut twice. I imagine you, despite being a walk on at Oregon and being drafted late, you still, to be in a training camp, you have to have a really high level of skill. Mm-hmm. When you get knocked down like that, what, what goes through your mind with the confidence? Are there guys that just get rattled and can never bounce back from that? Or is it, are you told to expect it and just keep working from it? Well, first, yes, there are guys that literally go on a shot. I mean, think about it. This is the first time athletically they've been told they're not good enough. And it is a reality check. I I remember watching some of the guys and what they would go through emotionally. And you have two types of people. You have those who take those moments. and And I call them like, for instance, as a speaker, I call these breakthrough moments. I heard a trainer talk about this, and he said that sometimes in life when you deal with failure, you deal with rejection, you have one or two options. Either that could be the moment to take you down, or that could be your breakthrough moment to bigger and better things. So I would see these athletes, Nima, who that they would allow them when they were cut, they had a setback or something, they would take those moments as they would allow them to take them down and take them out. And they would just go in the other direction. You know, their, their career was over and then they got lost. Me, I saw it as an opportunity to, to take me to bigger and better things. So when I was cut by Cleveland and I went to work, then I got rejected by Dallas. I went to work because I knew I had the ability. I knew I could play. It was just a matter of being hundred percent healthy and getting the right opportunity. So those no's and that rejection made me hungrier. And I think part of that has to do with my makeup. I've always been the little guy. You know, from grade school to high school, I was always told you're too small, you don't belong. So I've always had that tip on my shoulder where I had to work harder than everyone else. And so, so when I was faced with rejection in the NFL, it just, it made me stronger. It made me want it even more. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's, that's, that's spot on. And I think when you talk about your chip on the shoulder coming from, you know, you're too small and, there's still a lot of kids I, I see in high school sports and even late middle school sports. They have dreams, um, but you, you feel like the thing that's missing these days is patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone wants that offer now. Everyone wants that starting job now. Um, and you see it in every sport. But what's your advice to kids who are in an underdog position where they're developing later or they've developed, they just haven't gotten that shot to prove themselves? You hit the nail on the head. And I think that's one of the problems with today's young athletes. They want it right now. And like you said, they lack patience. In our era, at least when I was growing up, um, it was very customary to wait for your time. You didn't start. I mean, when I went to high school in Lake Oswego, I went to Lake Ridge High School in Lake Oswego. I remember when I got there, um, I started playing my sophomore year. And I was, I was really good. But there were some juniors and seniors that were starters. So 
I played the sophomore team. I thought, hey, I just want to play. I'm going to get better. And then the next year I was a junior and I was, I, I should have been starting varsity, but there were two seniors. And so instead of getting upset about it, I just said, coach, put me on JV because I'm just going to get better and better and wait for my shot. And then my senior year, I was the guy. Same thing at Oregon. I got to Oregon. I had to walk on. Two years, I backed up two seniors and I, I caught three balls one year. I caught three balls the next year. But I waited for my opportunity. But when I was waiting, Neiman, Neiman, I was getting better. I was crafting my skills. I was working harder so that when I got my shot, I knew I would take advantage of it. And that's the things I encourage young athletes. You know, be patient. And while you're waiting for your chance, put in the work so that when you get your opportunity, the moment's not too big for you. Uh, because if you're a good athlete, if you do the work, and you get the results, they will find you. Recruiters will find you. Schools will find you. And I think if more athletes had that mindset instead of like, hey, I'm not playing, I'm not starting, I'm going to go transfer schools, I think it would better prepare them for the real world. Because when you get out there in the real world, <laughs> they don't care who you are. They don't care what you did. You have to earn your spot every single day. So, um, yeah, that's the advice I would give. Tell them to be patient and just put in the work and wait for your shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you talk about earning it. I, I think the NFL is, from the outside, there's just a big um, you know, fandom around it, which I totally get. But when you're playing in the NFL, it isn't really about, oh, how many fantasy points did I get for somebody? It's, it's your livelihood, and mm -hmm. it's a mental grind day to day. And I have to ask you how. I know the physical challenges are, are well illustrated, but – how, what's the mental grind of the NFL truly like? And I would assume it takes far more mental effort than people can even imagine. Absolutely. And I think that's a good point because the physical part of it is, it's a, you know, it's a no-brainer. We're all great athletes. We all work hard. Everybody works hard. Everybody's strong. Everybody's gifted. Okay. But it's the mental part that really separates the guys who make it and the guys who don't. And let's take it a step further. It's the ability to be able to play under high, the, the highest amount of pressure. There is a lot of pressure in the NFL to always be at your best. You're constantly being watched. You're constantly being scrutinized. You're constantly being evaluated. And there's always a guy behind you waiting for you to mess up so they could take your job. And so you have to have the ability to make sure you prepare well. And then when it's game day, you have to be able to execute under the most difficult circumstances and do it consistently. And not only that, Nima, you got to be able to process information on the fly. And what I mean is that there's so much mental preparation from a game plan standpoint that goes into every week. There's new plays, there's new language, there's new routes, and you practice, 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 and then it's game day, and you got to be able to know, you know, the new plays and all that. But they're constantly changing plays. So as a wide receiver, I might get on the line, and, and the play's been called, and I know what I got to do. And then Joe Montana audibles because he sees a weakness and they want to change the play. And when they give me that play, I have to process that information immediately, scan the defense, know what I got to do and be on the same play as the quarterback. And this is where I would see players break down because they couldn't process and make decisions in such high pressure, you know, moments in a game. And that was one of those things that would separate, you know, the guys who would make it and the guys who would not make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you think there's a way in even high school sports for coaches to prepare their players for 
more high pressure mental situations like that, or is it is the talent gap between is the is the talent not there that everyone can improvise on the fly or pull wrinkles out? I think it all really falls back on the players because whether it's high school, college, or pros, the coaches do their job. You know, the coaches because I coached high school for a couple of years at Tiger High School in Oregon, and and you know, and I've obviously played at the different levels. The coaches do a great job of preparing. They're game planning. They're watching film. They make sure they put the players in the right position for success. But it really comes down to the players. You know, we always say coaches coach, players play. So the players have to have the right type of routine or habits during the week to put them in a position for success. And that has a lot to do with their preparation. It's how do they prepare for that week, for the game? You know, how do they prepare for practice? What are their studying habits? You know, do they go through the audibles? Do they walk through the plays? These are things that I would do uh, getting ready for Sunday because you practice as a team, but when I'm on my own, I was studying plays. I was studying film. Uh, my wife would go through the audibles with me. I would do everything that I could so that I was prepared to execute on game day. So again, I think it comes back to habits, having the right habits and preparing for the week. Because when you are prepared, you go into the game with more confidence. And when you have more confidence, obviously you play a lot better. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, I do have to ask you about how you feel about one of the hot topics of the NFL offseason, and that's the overtime rules. Um, if I'm correct, you played with the old NFL old time mm-hmm. overtime rules, which were first score of any wins. Yeah. Yeah, and then with the college rules being the each team gets a chance and you get to match that, um, which do you prefer? And more importantly, I should ask you on top of that, should the NFL take a look at it or is it fine how it is? I definitely think the NFL should take a look at it. I, I, I like the way the college program does it because they at least give each team a fair shot. They at least get the ball to be determined to determine the outcome of a game based on a coin flip. I know the defense should stop them, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, I'm, this is kind of personal because I'm a Chiefs fan and the Chiefs lost. <laughs> you know. I'm a Patriots fan, so I was going to just – I was going to say. <laughs> I, my take on that is just before you finish is not in that game in particular, but if you have 15 plays as a defense and all you have to do is limit to a field goal or, nothing, or less, I, mean, I get that point of view as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think, like, if Patrick Mahomes touches the ball in overtime that game, uh, they're not going three and out. Yeah, and I and and to, and to agree with you, I felt whoever won the coin flip won the game because I knew mm-hmm. Brady wasn't going to get stopped, and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs had great moment. They weren't going to get stopped. So yes, I do wish that you know they had it so that each team at least got a college does. Because let's say the Patriots kick a field goal, and then the Chiefs get the ball, and they get a chance to try to score a touchdown, but. Um, you know, the NFL probably is going to look at it because I think there's been enough noise during the offseason regarding that. But whether they change it or not, we'll see. Well, JJ, it's always a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch in the future. Thanks. Hey, thank you, 